Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this tough up. <laughs> the man who's three inspired the Curry family. I don't exaggerate, I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Go Airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. It's always good here on the Hangtime Podcast to uh, get different perspectives. Um, our guest this week is somebody who's basically done it all. Won championships, been an all-star, been a front office person, has worked on the agent side. Um, B.J. Armstrong, um, I always say of Birmingham Brother Rice fame, because that's, you know, when I recognize somebody, I usually want to do it the first time I saw him show out. And I watched you in high school. You a couple years ahead of me in high school in Michigan, so... My first question for you, though, is if you hadn't gone to Brother Rice, which is in the the Catholic League in Detroit, what public high school would you have gone to? Well, you know, growing up in the city of Detroit, um, well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me as a guest on the show. And it's a pleasure and and been watching and been a fan for many years and watching you do your thing on on television and and the whole work. So thank you for having me on the podcast. But if I didn't go to Brother Rice High School, uh, I would have gone to Detroit Henry Ford. And the Trojans is where I was all set, ready to go. And so my parents thought that I should just take a look at uh, Birmingham Brother Rice, which turned out to be uh, a great opportunity for me, a kid growing up in the city of Detroit. But if I didn't go there, Detroit Henry Ford is the place I would have gone to high school. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I, it's just so strange seeing the basketball world evolve over these years, um, you know, to where players come from and kind of how they're reared. I know in Detroit, in a lot of places, when you were coming up, you know, you had to go to St. Cecilia's or somewhere to, to, to vet yourself to find out how good of a player you would be. And now it seems like high school basketball has has been shelved a little bit. So I always wonder about that in terms of how guys come up. Um, you, you know, you went to Iowa, had an outstanding career. You go to the Bulls and, and end up winning a championship and then some, um, being an all-star. What is that basketball journey like for you now looking back, you know, from, from playing days to front office days to now being in the agent world and, and how the game on and off the court has kind of transformed? Well, Detroit, uh, growing up in the city and playing at all of the places, in particular St. Cecilia and, and in the city of Detroit and high school, proved to be a great you know, training ground for me in, in many, many regards and many aspects because competition was the core and, the, and, and that was my base, if you will, for everything that I became as a player. You know, when you play in the streets as a young kid, you know, you learn very quickly, you know, if you lose or you win, you got to run it back. 
And you have to continue to compete and prove yourself every single day. It's not what you did yesterday. It's not what you're going to do tomorrow. It's what you're doing right then and there. You had to go out there and learn how to compete. So my preparation when I got to the NBA, I felt completely prepared for the level of competition, knowing that, you know, what I did in Detroit didn't matter. What I did in Iowa didn't matter. It's what I'm going to do right now. And I always wanted to carry that with me, knowing that I was prepared for the moment in every regard because competition was, you know, as a young kid, especially as a guard, you had to learn how to compete because you were going to see good players day in and day out. And there was always someone waiting around the corner for you. So I felt totally prepared when that moment arrived. I I think it's interesting that people always – talk about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan's time with the Bulls as if it was he and Scottie Pippen and then just kind of this parade of role players, you know, uh, this this assortment of guys who were just along for the ride. I don't think people recognize how good some of that supporting cast was. Um, you know, you were an all-star. You had a season where you shot, I think, what, 44% from three-point range? I mean, Right. He, he, Michael Jordan was playing with, with other really good players on those teams, and I feel like it kind of gets washed away sometimes. Um, what does it look like to the, the guys who were involved in those championships? I know you guys probably get together and talk at various times. Um, what, was, what was that like being on that roller coaster, winning those championships, um, but maybe not being in the same spotlight, of course, obviously, that Michael Jordan or, or Scottie Pippen were? Yeah, well, we had great leadership. And, you know, from guys like Bill Cartwright, John Paxson, who are our veteran players. I mean, obviously, Michael Jordan was clearly our best player and our leader as far as the energy that he brought to the game and what he was able to do for our entire team. Um, and then you had a young Scottie Pippen. But, you know, you can't discount what Horace Grant brought to the group, you know, guys like Craig Hodges. Uh, and we just had great professionals around us, you know, young players like Scott Williams and Stacey King, uh, who's currently doing television now for the Bulls. So um, our leadership was impeccable as far as understanding that we had a bunch of professionals. We had a bunch of guys who were pros in every regard and what they were going to bring to the game. And, And I think that's what allowed us to achieve that level. We understood our roles. We understood what we were there to do as role players, but also you know, you have to give credit to our, you know, our, our leader, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan understood his role was to win the game. And, um, you know, there was sort of great times and a great fit. But when you understand that, you know, you have an opportunity to win. And we took advantage of it. And, and But it all started with Michael, no doubt about it. Yeah. Was was he as, as fierce a competitor in every moment as the rumors and legends have, have suggested? I mean, I know we hear about the stories of him going out in practice with Steve Kerr, somebody, but did you, did you see it from the inside that same way that he was just trying to win basically at everything at all times? His thing was that competition you spoke about earlier, just vetting yourself, having well, to always compete. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's what made him special as a player. You know, I've, I've often said many times before on different platforms that, you know, I wish I would have had his, the, the film of him and how hard he attacked practice because he was, you know, as great a player as he was in the game, he was even a better practice player. You know, um, he just went at 
after it every single day. He attacked every drill. He attacked, you know, obviously we all saw what he was able to achieve in the game. But when you see a player that practices with that intensity when the camera's not on, that's what who he was. And, uh, you know, in watching today's game, I, I always try to ask myself different questions. How would you coach Michael Jordan today? Like, what would it be like him playing today and watching an organization ask him to load manage, for instance? Those are the type of questions <laughs> I think about because he was a man that practiced every day. He, he didn't take off in practice. There were, there were he, he would play in the game 35, whatever, 40 minutes, and then he would practice every day. He was a blue-collar player that was trapped in this incredible athletic body, but his mentality was to grind. And that those are the type of things that I think separate him from the rest of the group is because he was incredibly gifted physically and mentally as a player, but he was truly a blue-collar player who had a work ethic that, you know what, every single day and his attention to detail and how he, you know, didn't shortcut the process. He just got after it every single day. And, and when you see a player with that, those type of gifts, with that type of mentality, Michael Gordon is what you get. So um, he was a truly special, special talent. But I think as much as physically we talk about what he was able to achieve, achieve mentally is where he had the discipline to not cheat, cheat any part of, you know, what he was going to be or what he wanted to achieve and reach his potential. So, you know, you saw the very best of the very best because he didn't cheat the process. And he went about it every day, methodical. He practiced, he showed up, and uh, he did his work. And um, that's what you get. Yeah, that's, that's just unbelievable. You, If I told you after you – you finished winning that last championship that there would only be 10 different organizations that would win titles in, in the aftermath of that first Bulls three-peat. Would, would that have surprised you that so few of the league's teams would be able to, to scale that mountain? It's been eras where, you know, the Spurs, obviously the Lakers, different teams have, have come back in, in one, but it, only 10 different organizations since you won that championship, your last championship, had, had, have won titles. Um, and really, it's until the last few years, it was even, an even smaller number than that until the Warriors came right. on the scene, the Raptors get one, Cleveland. What, what, what does that say about the league and just how hard it is to win in the NBA? Well, I, I think you hit it right there. You, once you do win and you have an opportunity to win, it changes your per- perception and perspective of this game, you know, first you got to have truly a superstar player, a player that allows you to play advantage basketball in some capacity. And those players are far and few and in between, you know, they just don't come around. We, we throw the term around now. Everyone's a superstar. as if Everyone is a superstar. No, everyone's not a superstar. Everyone's really, really good. Some are a little better than others. But when you have a superstar, right, when you have a Shaquille O'Neal or Kobe Bryant or Tim Duncan or Kim Olajuwon or LeBron James, those players are able to separate themselves in a capacity that allows you to play advantage basketball. And most of the time when you have these superstar players, it normally starts on the 
defensive end. It allows you to play the game um, where you can actually play one-on-one basketball on the defensive end because you have to match up with the other team. And we, you know, get so much press and coverage for, you know, the numbers and stats that these guys put up. But when you talk about, let's just say, a Jordan or a Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan was a defensive player of the year. He was the first-team all-defensive player year in and year out. You know, Akeem Olajuwon and these guys, they're exceptional defensive players. Tim Duncan, you know, he allowed his team to play at an advantage where he didn't have to compromise. They didn't have to compromise their defense because of his greatness on that end of the floor. Now, of course, he was a phenomenal offensive player. But when you see these players um, and you see a true superstar, it allows you to play the game that the other teams can't play because they give you an advantage night in and night out. So, no, I'm not surprised by that. Um, I'm surprised at the fact that, you know what, you don't see these players very often, and that's what I've come to understand, and you have an appreciation for their greatness because it doesn't matter whether they're a two-guard or a small forward, center, or, or what have you. You know, greatness is greatness. And uh, you have to take advantage of it in any time you get in. And most of those great players, that's what they do. They get to the finals, and more times than not, they actually win once, once they get there. Yeah. You, you, you bring up some, some interesting points, BJ, and that leads me to a, a completely different thought about the league now, too, in terms of there was a time when if, if a championship team was going to be assembled, it was going to be done – by uh, an organization. They were going to make the moves. They were going to do whatever it took, you know, to, to shuffle players or bring coaches together, whatever. The, the dynamics were that it was driven by the front office. We live in an era now where players seem to dictate a lot of that. Uh, star players, superstar players. Um, the shift from an organization-driven league where you know, a Jerry Krause or whoever might be the architect of a championship team to now an era when LeBron James, you know, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh dictate how it goes or Kevin Durant decided mm-hmm. to go play in Golden State dictates that. How how big of a shift is that in the basketball landscape at the highest level? And does that impact the game going back down the other way to all the way to the grassroots level where we see high school kids teaming up together and crisscrossing the country to play together. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if that's connected, do you think? Well, you know, you know, being now and currently the position I'm in as an agent, one of the things that I find very interesting is how you build a team. And how do you build a team with sustainability where you can actually compete, you know, year in and year out? And one thing that's fairly consistent to me as I watch this era play is that without question, all of the teams – have to go through the draft if you're going to build a team and have sustainability because of the salary cap, right? There is a reason that the Golden State Warriors um, have had the run they've had because they, they're the only organization that has had the opportunity to get a number of players, in particular Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, through the draft, which, which allowed them the capability to get a free agent to add to what they already have. And without going through the draft, you have no shot of building a team because you're going to try to build a team with one or two players and then the rest will have to be minimum players, which is very difficult to do. Uh, you see that currently now with the Lakers. You see that what's going on there with with uh, the Clippers. But for the most part, um, 
starting in, you know, as long as I can recall, there's always going to be a player or two that you're going to have to draft if you're going to have sustainability because of the salary cap and the structure. If you're going to do it, if you're going to have some consistency there and able to build an organization. So um, to answer your question, I think it's very difficult today. Um, I don't think, you know, there's no formula. Um, But if you, in, in the way this is structured, you're going to have to find a great player in one of four areas, right? You're going to have to draft them. You're going to have to trade for them. You're going to have to get them in free agency. And then once you do draft that player, you're going to have to develop them a la Siakam or what have you in order to get them caught up to speed as quickly as you possibly can so that they can compete at that level. And it's very difficult to do, but in today's game, you just don't know where they're going to come from because of the youth of the players that are available, especially domestically, in the draft, right? Because you know, the best players now are all one-and-done players. You know, if you look at the league currently here, the best young players are, are basically foreign players, right? Whether it's Giannis or Jokic or Luka Doncic, Porzingis or what have you. And that has put a lot of pressure on where these young players are going to develop if they're going to compete at that level. Because normally it takes three or four years to kind of figure out who you're going to be what you're going to, you know, how you're going to grow in this league before you're ready to compete at that championship level. So uh, it's been quite a process, and it's it's made for, it's made it very challenging for executives today and organizations today to actually build a sustainable championship caliber franchise uh, any other way other than going through the draft. Yeah. What, what is your, as an agent, what's the, what's the message you try and drive home to these young players who are coming into the league to represent in terms of explaining that that aspect of it. That, you know, okay, you made, you made it here now, so the, the next phase is understanding the game, you know, in terms of how yeah, the entire it, it, basketball it, it, ecosystem works. Yeah, well, what, there's, what, there's two things that, that I know will never change about the NBA, right? And that's talent and toughness. Those two will never change. And what I mean by how I define that is talent is what can you do night in and night out in this league, right? Talent just doesn't mean that you can score baskets or, you know, from time to time or you can average a lot of points. But what can you do night in and night out? What's your talent? Can you rebound and get 10 rebounds every night? Can you get 10 assists every night? You know, if you're going to be a 30-point scorer, can you do it every single night, right? So that's talent. And then toughness means you have to do this consistently Every single game, every single game, right? Because it's very hard to be a good team without the consistency of you playing every single day. Because the only place that you can actually get better or maintain what you're doing is in practice. And if you're not practicing, if you're not playing on a consistent basis, then it's very hard for you to coach the team, right? It's hard for you to be a group uh, here. What I have learned over the years now is – in this era, right, there's two things that are clearly necessary for these, this group in this era, what they're playing, right? They have to be very persistent because we are lacking what all coaches and all organizations understand is necessary to win a championship is you've got to have experience, right? If you look at the teams that are competing at that level that we're talking about, that we're discussing here, you, there's a replacement for experience, right? You can be a great player, but if you're young and you have no, you know, have no experience, it's going to be very difficult for you to play and, and do that and play and be expected to do that. 
without the experience that's necessary uh, to play this game. So I just encourage young people to be persistent. You just keep doing what you do every single day. And then we have to find these young men experience because they're going to school for, you know, college for one year and then they're coming to the NBA. Some don't go to college. And then we have the foreign players or the European players, which are coming over and they seem to have an advantage because they are gaining some valuable experience in international play, which seems to translate right now into the NBA, the way the game is played, because the game is played now at a pace and they're utilizing spacing, which seems to mimic in some capacity uh, international basketball. And that seems to be an advantage for these Luka Doncic kids when they do come over. They seem to be more prepared than the kids who are going to college for one year because of the way the game is played. So I just encourage them to be persistent. I encourage them to try to gain as much experience as they can. And that can only happen on the floor. And uh, you just go with it from there. Yeah, it's it's such a interesting dynamic too. Uh, you know, when you see the rise of the grassroots basketball, um, I, I'm I'm old enough like you to remember when you know there was five star, and then after that, you know the, the shoe company camps would you know were invitation only, so there would be really good players right. who didn't make that top 100 cut a generation ago, and and you know they would have to establish themselves outside of that little tunnel that the very best would, would get a chance to expose themselves. I don't know what's more challenging for you. I mean, and you could tell me, is, is it the identification of the types of players who have a chance to have long NBA careers or the re-education needed once you find them for them to understand that this, that this is fleeting, like this basketball life at that highest level is fleeting. Not everybody plays as long as you did or some of your contemporaries, some of your former teammates. It's very difficult to make a lasting career out of this. Well, the the most difficult thing is, is I think now what you're seeing in the NBA is we're all, you know, the game is probably at an all-time high as far as as popularity of the game. The game is clearly and truly a global game now. The popularity of the game, the exposure of the game is at an all-time high. And because of that, now we see more and more kids with the idea of, I can do that. You know, if you watch the, you know, on television or however you view the game, there are more and more kids who feel that they have an opportunity and they can do it. But in saying that, the core of the business that we are in is and, and you can only learn this once you get in the business. We are in the business of winning. That's the NBA. That's professional sports. And because we are in the business of winning, now we are. You know, it it it, 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 it is permeated throughout the players because the players aren't ready to win when they come to this league because of their youth and their age. So now we're talking about all of the other things. We're talking about development. We're talking about G League. We're talking about who's going to be. You know, how many times have you heard uh, in circles, you know, this guy's a pro? Well, that may be the case. He may be a pro, but does that mean that he will contribute to winning basketball? That's the business that we're in. And when you look at the 
at the, 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 the four important seats that make up the NBA, right? That's the owner, the, the executive, the head coach, and the players. As it's currently structured right now, the coaches are the only seat right now where if you don't win, you, you're probably going to get fired. And so competition and winning is the core of our business, will always be the core of our business, and that's, it, will, it will never change. But right now we're going through a phase where we're trying to figure out how to get these very talented young players that we have caught up to speed, and currently we don't know where that's going to go because traditionally we've always utilized college basketball as that proving ground as that training ground. Now that is not the case. And what you're seeing is very talented young men coming to our league with no experience. And how are we going to develop, you know, those young players? How are we going to get those young players to play the game of the standard of excellence that we've come to expect in the NBA? And it has proven thus far to be very difficult because, you know, many of these young players need time. And there's nothing wrong with needing time. But at the same time, we expect it. It's like, give me patience, but give it to me right now. And I think that is the dilemma that you're seeing in the NBA. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's such a poignant statement. I, I think about the player development component that was not uh, universal when I first started covering the NBA. Right. And that's going back two decades. It, it seems like it's caught up now, but there was a long time when I kept seeing, you know, one and done high school players are guys coming straight out of high school and there was just no infrastructure set up with some organizations to facilitate the process for these kids. So you, you had a lot of talented players that simply couldn't survive in the league because of the way it was set up. There was no safety net to catch them when they needed that tutelage and that kind of uh, education early on. Has it changed as much now as it, as it appears from the outside that, that everybody recognizes the importance of a player development component for their players, whether they're from overseas or domestic, whatever. Yeah, but absolutely has changed because that has never been part of the NBA. You know, you, you know, when I came into the league in, in, the, in the late 80s, I was expected to perform. There was no, you know, trying to get me ready or get me adjusted. It was like, you know what, you're a professional you know, I was expected to be able to go out there and play and do what a pro does from day one. Now, you know, you see guys and you say they're going to be good, they could be good, but they have to continue to develop, you know. I get it. It's a different league now. It's a, it's a different business. And the challenges of today's executives of these organizations today is you have to get these young players – and retain those young players, right? How many times are we talking about all of the things that are outside of the court, right? Whether it's player X moving or is, are, is player X now, once they're off their rookie skill contract, are they going here in free agency? So the business has changed, the league has changed, the direction has changed. But more importantly, you know, you don't want to be the organization that drafts a young, talented player and then loses that player for whatever reason that may be um, in this process of how to develop a young talent, because in order to win and compete at the highest level, you need great players. And um, 
it's proven to be a very difficult one for these organizations, and it's clearly one that we continue to talk about year in and year out, it seems. Yeah, it's, just, it's such a it's such a complex thing, too. And, and I, I talk to people like you do, obviously, in and around basketball all the time. And I, and I have these, you know, I got sons that, you know, they play ball, you know, and played in middle school or high school. Whatever. And I, I walk into a gym and somebody would tell me about a kid being a pro. You know, and they're like in the seventh grade. I'm going, do you have any <laughs> idea how difficult it is to do this at that level? I, I always slap myself thinking they don't understand just how difficult it is to not only make it to that level, such a small percentage of people who ever dribble a basketball make it to that level, but then stay in there for, for an extended period of time. Like, I don't know if they understand the, the amount of, of hard work and comprehension of what's going on it takes to get to that level. It must be a trip for you too to have done all that you've done to see it now um, on on that side, I can only imagine the conversations you must have to have with family members and you know p- people surrounding these players to explain to them just how difficult a road this is going to be. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it, it really is. And uh, but again, you know what? It, it, it's like the curse and the gift all in one because as the game as the game is more popular now, you have more and more people attracted to the game, and I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to compete at the highest level, right? And compete and play with some of the, you know, against some of the greatest coaches, some of the greatest players. And then you have an understanding of that, how difficult this really is. You know, you know, every year I, I love the beginning of the season because there's always so much optimism in the air. Everyone feels they have an opportunity, <laughs> right? At the beginning of the season, right? right? It's always, it's, it's always a great time. You know, this team is going to be good and this team is going to be good. And then always around 25 or 30 games, you know, reality seeps in. And then you'll see these four or five teams that will emerge. And then you'll see, you know, the best of the best will always rise. But when you play this game, you know, it's one thing I, I, I've understood and I always will maintain is that every organization will win when their players say it's time to win. Right? Everyone is on a timeline. <laughs> okay? And... Yeah. Yeah, you know, in watching Michael Jordan, because that's, you know, how we, you know, we started at the beginning of the conversation, you know, people forget it took like eight years to figure it out. Yeah. It was an eight-year process, <laughs> okay? But once he <laughs> figured it out, he had an incredible run where he was able to get there six times, and he won it six times. But it took him time because he had to figure out some things of how to implement his skill set, his talent into a framework that eventually became probably one of the greatest runs in the history of the NBA, but it took time to do that. And it wasn't that he wasn't just as good as a player in year one or two or three. It was that every player has a, 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 a time frame, if you will, where they're ready to win and compete at that level. And that will only happen when the players are ready. And you try to get players in that period or space of time where they're all ready to win. So, um, every year I look at teams, I try to look at the teams and say, you know what, they're ready to win because they understand group dynamics, right? And you can put great players together because of stats. You can put great players because it looks good on paper. But group dynamics and chemistry and all of those things, it's either present or it's not. You know, the one thing that you see now 
that is so important and will always be is the leadership that you have to have from the top down in order to have an opportunity to win a championship. And it's one of the, I think, least talked about things in all of pro sports is what is the importance of leadership, the leadership from the top, the leadership from the players, the leadership from the coaches, executives, what have you, that's needed to even have an opportunity to do it, let alone, you know, you need a little luck. Right, you need a, a bounce or the ball to go in and do, do things. But I mean, it's very difficult. I understand that. You know, you've been around, you've seen it. But um, you know, you got to find that that sweet spot, if you will, when the players are ready to win. Because it's only going to happen when those players say it's time to happen, or they allow it that for that to happen for any organization. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, you know that. And, and again, I appreciate it, man. I know you're busy. I, I, I thank you for taking the time, man. Fascinating perspective to, to come from every stage of, of this game. I mean, and like I said, I'm, I'm a little few, couple years behind you, but I remember, like, I remember growing up watching <laughs> certain players, you know what I'm saying? And it's, I mean, yeah. I wish you'd have went to Michigan just because I'm a Michigan fan. But again, that's beside the point. I want everybody to go to Michigan, but, you know, to see you. <laughs> take that level, every level, and you take it and you see where a guy's game fits. And then, the, to me, the most interesting thing that's going on now is life after playing for players. Um, and and mm-hmm. you've obviously maximized that. You know, I just think that's such a huge part of a guy's journey that they don't focus on as young people, but hopefully they see, you know, what you and a lot of other guys that came through when you did have done with it, making basketball work for you for years and years to come. Being a part of this giant, complex basketball machine, man, it's just so much to it. And I hope guys are listening and, and getting educated when you talk about it. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, it, it, it's look. I had as a young kid, I had a dream of playing in the NBA, and that was that was great. And I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to do it. But as you get in this business, you see so many other opportunities, whether that's in broadcasting, whether that's in, you know, being an executive in this league, working for organizations, coaching, there's so many opportunities. And the biggest thing is my my parents and my mentors always encourage me is to understand and learn the business in which you want to work in. So, you know, there's just more to playing in this league. And even if you have an opportunity to play, you know, you want to be able to learn the business and learn the reason that things are happening, not only on the court, but off the court and all around you as you walk into these arenas uh, and play. So um, I think a curious kid from Detroit is what brought me here. Uh, I was just curious on how this business worked once I had an opportunity to experience it. And uh, it was eye-opening because you see it's truly a global operation and it's played all around the world and you see the, the economic impact it can make and uh, it'll continue to expand as we, you know, you know, the game becomes more and more popular. And I think that's been the, the core business is how to expand the game, how to grow the game. And you can see the impact that it's making on the world stage and uh, how popular the game has become, has, be, has uh, became uh, all around the world. And we're seeing players, if you watch the NBA today, you'll see players from all around the world playing the game because of basketball. And um, that's a tribute to the NBA and how they're promoting the game. No doubt. It's, it's definitely a, a, a global sport. I know that was the dream for a long time, and that was the, the mantra when David Stern was, you know, leading the league. But you're right. It, it has truly become the global sport, man. And I, 
like I said, it's interesting. Your, your perspective within it is something that I think people need to hear about, man. So I'm glad you took some time. Um, and I, I, look, I'm going to be in these gyms like we always are. Next time I see you in there, man, I need to holler at you. So I appreciate you. Okay, appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right, BJ. Take care, man. Once again, I want to thank uh, BJ Armstrong, our special guest this week on the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, just an, uh, an unbelievably detailed conversation about uh, the different stages of, of the game and how you evolve, you know, from player to executive to agent to, you know, a, a cog in this gigantic global basketball ecosystem. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did bringing it to you. Um, as always, we'll be here right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to Seiku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans.